What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 23. We're joined today by certified ganjier and founder of Sage Advice, Cannabis Education and Lifestyle, Elizabeth Sage. Elizabeth runs a weekly program to keep certified ganjiers connected to one another and uses her corporate experience to help cannabis businesses succeed. She has seen the unique Minnesotan cannabis industry spring up over the last few years and has begun providing a series of digital courses. Connect with her on LinkedIn and find out more at thesagegangier.com. Enjoy the show. Elizabeth, welcome. Thanks for jumping on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, always happy to have a Gangier on the show and, uh, and talk shop about the cannabis connoisseurship and, and education side of the business. Yeah, and the education side, I think, is probably the most important and often the most overlooked side of the cannabis business. So I'm always happy to shed light and hopefully provide resources to people as much as I can. It can be easy to... Uh, jump right to the end product with cannabis and kind of skip the education, right? It's like just jumping in without caring how deep the pool is or what temperature. Yes, I'm very much a just try it. And then if we have to go back to the directions, that's that's the way I do things. And I think a lot of times with products, it can be similar, you know, act now. When did you get your Gangier certification? I got my certification in September of 2021, and I was in the very first class that got their certifications. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. The, the, the inaugural class. The inaugural class. Yeah. I, I wanted to be in the inaugural class of trainees as well, but I couldn't quite get my email in fast enough and ended up in the second class, which I think in hindsight was a blessing because it I had already seen at that point the opportunity for community to be created. So having a little bit of extra space in a class that had gone through prior to me and having gotten some feedback from that allowed us to create a pretty special opportunity uh, the very first time I went out there. Oh, so actually being able to build or iterate on that first round. I think the first draft of anything is always a little bumpy, no matter the intentions or the planning. It's meant to be a learning experience, huh? Well, and certainly in the cannabis space, everything is a bit of a learning experience, right? It's it's still too immature of a market to have people who have tried and true methods of doing pretty much anything. That's a good point. Yeah, every, as much as everyone wants to look over the state borders and uh, look for that perfect solution, it still hasn't been hasn't been laid out yet. There's not a book on it, right? <laughs> no, I mean, there's there's lots of books on it, but none of them have quite nailed exactly what public policy looks like when it meets good regulations. And then of course you throw into the fact that it's all still federally illegal and that just puts a big wet blanket on everything. Hey, indeed. Yeah. And it also creates these little micro economies within each state for better or worse. 
It does. Somebody told me the other day, we don't have one industry. We have 37 industries in a trench coat. And I was like, that is the best analogy that I've heard to explain. Because we are, we're trying to operate as one and we're pretending. But at the same time, there's like arms coming out over here. There's three heads, like the leg is falling off. Right. That's a really good way to look at the industry overall. Struggling along there, masquerading as a CPG industry. But so when I took the Gangier program, I started the online portion. You know, I applied for it right when it opened. I paid my tuition the first chance I could. I took my course, you know, like I was so enthusiastic about it because my background is in sales and marketing and I come from private investment world and um, the consulting world. And so, but I've been a cannabis lover my whole life. And I've always intrinsically understood that it worked for me and that I liked Um, the version of myself that used it better than the other versions of myself, but there was never a marketplace or a space for me to break into it. Um, And I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I grew up in Northern Minnesota, but spent 15 years in Chicago in most of my twenties and thirties. And so it was really interesting when I left Chicago in 2018, within six months of my leaving, the governor uh, legalized by executive order there. So it was not on the radar. It just happened after I left. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me, right? Because at that point, even Illinois was still fairly an early adopter of adult use cannabis. And um, so, you know, having spent five years here, about two years into my stint back in Minnesota, when I heard about the Gangier program, it was sort of like my shining light moment when I was like, oh, like that's what I need because I have all of these great skills and I have a love of cannabis, but I don't have a deep technical knowledge on it. And having spent as many years as I did in finance and never fully understanding all the nuances of it, I knew that I wanted to be like the people that I would listen, talk to about derivatives and um, you know, all of these different things. And they knew what they were talking about and it all made sense in their head. And so I was like, this to me was the opportunity to get that level of education and right. I want I want to hear conversations and not be like I did not understand that. Um, so that's yeah, really what that it provided me with. Financial level of understanding or that um, solid ground of a uh, of understanding, right, and base of yeah. knowledge to pull from and and build on. Yeah, and I think that's what makes a lot of our community conversations so cool. Is we all have this very solid foundation and you don't ever have to wonder do they know about x y and z because it's like nope i know i know the education we all have we can just move right past that and we can go into these harder more difficult more intriguing you know current things that are happening definitely yes and i think that the ganjie training course the the first piece of the certification uh, for listeners is the training which is an online series of uh, courses covering um, cannabis, yep. yeah, cannabis science, um, all steps of cannabis production, um, history, Eating, politics, history. Um, yeah, it, there's a lot buried in there in those ten modules, and a lot of ancillary reading and extra things to dig mm-hmm. into as well. That all come before um, an on-site t- uh, process with the Ganjie Council themselves, where. You can learn a little bit more. It's a little bit of a review of some of the modules and then a, a kind of a deep dive into a protocol that Ganjiers use to rate and review flower and concentrates uh, in the cannabis Correct. space. The, the systematic assessment protocol or SAP for short. 
Yes. Yeah. And uh, it's a very good process to get all that feedback as, um, you know, even as a experienced consumer or, you know, a longtime smoker in other terms, uh, you can really pick out some flavors and aromas, but having folks to bounce that off of and uh, kind of weigh the, the thoughts on started to define some of those aromas and things further for me. Um, yeah, the Gangier process was excellent. Um, excellent all around, I think, for folks interested in getting that extreme level of, uh, of knowledge and understanding and you know, being able to, to spread that themselves. Well, and what I think is so cool about it is just the markers of quality, right? So you mentioned the aroma and being able to pick out the particular terpenes, but to be able to smell that aroma and say like, is this the, is this the expression that the plant wanted? Or is this like a lessened expression? And if it's lessened, is that because it was grown under a, a different kind of light? Is it, was it improperly handled? Was it not cured properly? Like, to be able to find what that one little difference is and then the reasons why it is different, that's what really blows my mind is it's not so simple as this is good or bad. This is a seven or a nine, but this is why it's a nine. This is why it's a seven. Yeah. Looking into some of the causes of that and in the cannabis industry, the supply chain is so um, separate at times and so variable with different licenses, having control of the product before it really gets to the consumer and that's when things that's when things go wrong that can lead to those um those off aromas right the bad kind of funk well and i mean just not to mention like sad aromas not bad aromas but like six months down the line and if that left the farm in pristine condition but it you know it went through a distribution process that didn't handle it gently and then it sat in a warehouse for three months before it then went and sat in a Uh, dispensary for two months before it moved off the shelf like that's sad weed because it was good (laughs) weed but now it's not anymore yes indeed right it's been it's been uh kept a little bit past its prime or not kept in the right storage right temperature or light conditions everything can start impacting that Exactly. So, but even being able to recognize that, right? And being able to say, like, actually, I can tell that this cultivar had all this potential, but this is possibly reasons why it's not living up to that potential right now. Right. Degradation or, you know, exposure to air and things like that. Yeah. Before you approached the Gangier certification, did you have any uh, other interests in connoisseurship or were there any other products or types of services that you? were a connoisseur of or that you kind of appreciated in the same way as you know it's it's so silly like I'm a consumer product goods girl and in particular makeup (laughs) so I was a makeup artist for four years in Chicago I had my own bridal business and um so but like I I love doing that because it gave me this ability to go into a cosmetic store and just be like, Oh, I need a little bit of this. And I want a little bit of this. And I, you know, I would try all the different things, people with different skin textures, different skin types, people with different eye shapes, people like, you know, products in beauty, like cannabis, like it's not one size fits all. Like maybe everybody Hmm, needs a foundation right? But somebody needs a foundation for oily skin. Somebody needs a foundation for dry skin. Somebody needs to put a primer on. Somebody needs to put a moisturizer on. Like there's all these different ways to make it fit in. And so to me, cannabis is similar to that. Like everybody needs cannabis. They just don't all need it the same way. They might need it in a topical for shoulder pain. 
They might need it in a textile for clothing. They might need it in a in hempcrete to build their home. So not limiting it to just consumption of the product, but like really looking at it as it's all cannabis and there's a spot for all of us um, in that. So I, I now go to dispensaries much the same way I used to go to department stores and Sephora and places like that. And I'm like, yeah. you know, I don't know that right now I need that, but I'm going to grab that because I might. And I also like, I love sharing products. And I like, you know, it's not just, I don't want to just smoke a joint with you. Like I want to do that, but then I want to teach you something and I want to put some gummies in a bag and you can take them home. And, you know, I like the idea of layering products when it comes to whether it's, you know, cosmetics or cannabis. And I think it's, it's really interesting what we've done and all of the cool formulations that people have come up with. And I think once people realize how many different options there are, it really opens up a lot of different avenues. Yes, yeah, as classic as the hand-rolled joint is and as delicious as that really is, there are hundreds of applications and so many products that the analog or the connection there, you know, between the kind of makeup CPG or beauty CPG space and cannabis is great. That's that's a good perspective to have on it as it is just so consumer-dependent and even different needs that companies aren't addressing are being met. You know, just because folks have found it or found that it works for them, um, that's a similar market for sure. And with hundreds and hundreds of SKUs and cannabis products, it can be hard for folks that don't have a an established consumption pattern. I think to to know where to where to look. It's not only jumping into the deep end of the pool. It's like looking at many many different pools and wondering which one is going to be the which one is the one for you right and knowing like it's a little bit scary because like am I going to jump into the pool that like suddenly I'm going to drown in right and I think that's everybody's fear is that suddenly they'll jump into a pool and it's made of lithium and they're just going to (laughs) like they'll have that that anxious moment or that anxious event that nobody wants with cannabis Uh, rethinking your your past or or thinking about nothing (laughs) (laughs) yeah So with the uh, education side, then what would be the, um, or I guess, first of all, after the Gangier certification, you uh, came back home and uh, kind of went to the drawing board, or did you already have an idea to to take that certification and, and get some traction with it? Um, so I did. My, my story is interesting because as I, you know, I did all of this during COVID, right? So I just have to like, let everybody go back. It was 2020 when I first heard about it and applied. It was early 2021 when I got accepted. It started in April of 2021. And like I said, I jumped into it. You know, I was very excited. I, I did all my modules. I started a study group with other people that I found online Um, And in May, I found out, or it might have been June, that I was pregnant at 40, almost 40, I was 41. Um, And I have two older kids, and that was definitely not on our radar. But like I say, COVID, it was weird. Like things were just weird during COVID. And so I found myself in a spot where, you know, I, my other two kids, I had not consumed during my pregnancy because I, you know, again, I lived in Chicago. I had a very corporate job. I like, it just wasn't even on my radar. And so here I was, I just started this program and the entire, you know, focus of it is assessing cannabis. And, you know, I had a a 
nurse who was in the program that I called immediately and I was like oh my god like what do I do and you know she talked me through a lot of things and sent me a lot of different resources to look at and uh, my OBGYN here I sat down and I was a medical cannabis patient so to be very clear like I I it was really important to me to have my cards because of my kids right I just I I qualified for it in Minnesota. And even though it's quite expensive, it was $200 for my um, doctor's appointment and another 200 for the application. It's $400 a year. I just, I wanted to have that because I was qualified for it, not because I ever got my products here in the state of Minnesota, but it was the, the level of protection that I wanted to have as a mother consuming. And so finding myself pregnant again and, you know, talking to my doctor and trying to be a very big girl about it um, and saying, like, I'm a medical cannabis patient and, you know, I would like to consume during my pregnancy because all of my research had led me to believe that there are safe consumption modalities. And he was kind of like, all right. And I was like, okay, but talk me out of it, right? Like, what... (laughs) what are we, what are we worried about here? And he's like, I'm not really worried. And I'm like, okay, okay. But like you deliver hundreds of babies, right? Way more than I do. And your friends all deliver babies, right? Like what are, what's the worst that can happen? Like, what are we seeing? And he's like, I don't know. Like the, the, the worst that you would see is similar to a woman who smokes cigarettes during their pregnancy. And that might result in low birth weight. And I was like, oh, well, I have giant babies anyway, so it's really like a preemptive diet. (laughs) And he laughed. And I was like, okay, like this is how I know we can be back and forth, right? Like you can be my doctor because you don't have concerns. You understand my jokes. And so I, you know, my whole pregnancy I consumed and it was a really interesting sort of reflective look at myself, right? Because I it was hard to explain that to my parents. It was hard to explain it to my friends. It was, you know, something my husband had to trust me with. Um, And we have, you know, a beautiful, very healthy, big, robust baby boy. He continues to be in the 99th percentile for height, weight, and head circumference. He's 16 months. 16 months. Okay. Okay. So, and he hits all his milestones. And I don't say that because I want people to do it either way. I want people to trust their intuition. And that's what I really right. had to lean into is, you know, I don't think that I would be on this path with these tools at my disposal if I wasn't supposed to go down it. But there's a lot of judgment that goes into it and it's self-judgment. And it's, you know, if I would have seen someone on the street doing what I did in the privacy of my own home, I would have judged them. Hundred percent, like that stigma I, you know, is ingrained. It is. It absolutely is, and you know, like it's okay to say that. I think, and it's okay to say that. You know, I want to change that, and that's why it's important to me to tell people that I did. It's important for me to tell them my experience, but also to remind them everybody's experience is their own, and you really do have to trust yourself. So, on that path, here I am, and I'm pregnant, and when I got my certification, I was pregnant. And again, this was like weird COVID times. And so I'd been working home for 18 months and I worked for one of the largest consulting companies in the world. And they were in kind of the stages where they might want people to start coming back into the office, but they weren't fully there yet. 
but they wanted everyone to be vaccinated. And given my age and the fact that I had had COVID and that I worked from home, I wanted to delay that until I had delivered and the office was open. Like I was like, let me, let me just not be pregnant when I make this decision. And yes, they, right. Just let one stressor pass before yeah. I handle it. And that wasn't, um, we couldn't come to an agreement on that. So I applied for both a medical and a religious exemption, both of which were denied. And so I actually lost my job when I was eight months pregnant. Oh, yeah. wow, man. So it was one of those, like, it's kind of serendipitous, right? Like, would I have ever had the courage to lose my golden handcuffs? Probably not. Um, but I didn't really have yes. a choice. Yeah, I've experienced similar uh, corporate uh, corporate lessons, I think yeah. we could call them in hindsight. Exactly. So <laughs> They're catalysts I, for future things and um, kind of motivations to, to, to get the right project or the right focus started. Yeah. And so for me, I, you know, I think it was, I always say I got a shitty deal, but I got a good shitty deal. And, um, you know, I got to keep my health care <laughs> while I had my kid and it, it put me yes. into where I am now. And again, I don't think I ever would have had the guts to do it on my own. So I always say, even, even when it seems like it's, it's a bad path, like it's just, it's all part of the path we have to take. So then, uh, post Gangier, now a uh, few months after, obviously, to, to get back to, to reality yeah. after home life. So it wasn't until like probably April of 2022 that I was starting to get like, okay, I can think about things again. And so I mentioned before, starting in early 2021, I started a study group with a woman named Lucia that I had met online that was also in the program. And we started by just going over the modules that we had been focusing on. And the need for community was so strong within Gangier. And there was no central repository where people were able to exchange ideas and meet one another and plan things. And so just solely by word of mouth over a year, year and a half period, we built a large online community that meets every Monday still and has different subject matter experts from across the industry come in and help provide some ancillary knowledge to what Gangier has taught us all. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we assess cal um, cultivars from across the country and calibrate them. And so making sure everybody is still looking at the same things and we're seeing the same things, looking at different parts of the country, looking to see how people are growing, if it's indoor, if it's outdoor, are they growing organic? Is it living soil? Is it regenerative? And then really making note of how all of those different things affect the output that the flower is producing. It's a really, really, um, it's like super nerdy and it's so much fun. <laughs> it's the good kind of it, right? It's in a, it's nerdy down a great avenue there. Looking it at is. the at, at cannabis quality itself and getting a cannabis experience um, with others is, is, is hard to beat. It is. Help it. And so, you know, I spend a, a lot of my free time. So I don't have a ton of free time because I have a baby, right? And I have two bigger kids and a house to run. Um, but trying to then, you know, launch my own business and still be able to empower the community because once I, once I was certified, there still wasn't, there still isn't those things in place. There's a Facebook group and a discord. Um, but you can only yes. have yeah. so much that lives in those places. Right. 
Um, so I still spend a significant portion of my time helping that community out and driving, you know, just driving the Gangier ship forward. Cause I always say it's like the word fetch. Like I, I need it to happen. I need people to understand what Gangiers are and how incredible they are because I need that for my professional pivot. I need people to understand the oomph behind it. Um, and I really think that day by day, week by week, we're getting closer and closer to that. It's um, a harder sell in certain parts of the country that have industry like the Northwest. But as we're seeing new markets come online here in the Midwest and the East Coast, I think people are really looking. They don't know who the experts are. They're looking for somebody to tell them what to do. Yes, to come in and, and be able to help in, in any capacity. Sometimes it's just something so minor, like recommending a, a starting product. And other times it may be, you know, come, working through a bad experience or yeah. you know, establishing a, a more therapeutic approach to cannabis. I mean, the the needs kind of vary pretty drastically, but that's where that solid foundation and then the community of Gangiers really comes into play as, um, you know, someone may not have experienced it, but across everybody, there's a very high likelihood, you know, that we've seen it before or that it's, it's been encountered. And yeah. I think I definitely see that, that more in the newer industries as well, like in the Midwest and the East. Um, as these industries get started, it's not necessarily experienced consumers that always need that, that help. And honestly, experienced consumers may be a little harder to They're reach harder. if they have their opinions set or they know what they want already as well. Uh, so the folks I think that can really benefit are ones that maybe would be fearful to even enter the dispensary, right? The ones that drive past and kind of, there's a little voice in their head thinking, you know, maybe I should, I should check that out, but nah, I'll wait because I don't really know how it is. Or, you know, the Gangier is that perfect guide to take you in and uh, really just explain the whole process. You could spend an hour checking out and uh, ask questions along the whole way, right? Those kinds of things are so useful to help consumers into the market, I think. There's only so many daily or regular consumers that the industry can cater to. Um, mm -hmm. And the therapeutic use and approach has, has grown, of course. But I think um, because of that stigma, a lot of folks maybe haven't considered it just because they don't know how, how to. Right. I mean, for or, lack of better yeah, words, right? Take that, <laughs> take that first step. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, last year I spent a lot of time just trying to figure out exactly how can I help people. And there I've, I've taken some opportunities around, you know, again, empowering Gangiers. I helped participate in the Cowboy Cup last year. And Which category did you judge? So I did not judge um, because I, I couldn't, you had to be able to be gone for like, eight days in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah. The, and I was the like, on site judging was, I can't do that. I just like, that doesn't, you know, I'm a, again, I'm a mom and the weeks before Thanksgiving and Christmas are already Prime so time. well, and they're already so stressful. I'm like, I just, I can't do that to myself and my family. But so I, yes. but I helped <laughs> with, I helped with a lot of the organization. I helped with a lot of the social media and I did go out there for the actual competition and I mean, it was a lot of fun. And for me, the best part was seeing everybody together because that was the first time we had a community of Gangier from different classes all meeting together and students. And I bet there right. was 40 people representing awesome. the organization there. It was a really good turnout. We did, I did some not speaking make it panels. To the event, 
but I did get to judge and smoke some of that Oklahoma flower. So I got the early had a nice stuff. box of samples. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it hmm. was, again, it was all around. It was a, a good experience in that we got to all be together, got to see what it looks like to use the sap to judge some things. Um, and then in April of this year, I organized the Rosin Bowl at the Casey, Casey Canna Fest, which um, was another really good experience. We had all certified Gangiers doing the judging with Nika T leading us. And again, interest it like all a great learning experience great to have everybody together we did speaking panels there as well oh, awesome. um, so i think anytime we have the opportunity to take the stage and tell people you know just spread our message and tell them what we want them to know about asking for quality and understanding the metrics of quality and um it's, it's sort of an onus that we have to keep preaching the message right when was the casey canifest that was April of 2023. Okay, awesome. And next year I'll have to get over there. Yeah, and it's one of those things that like it ends up taking so much more time than you can really even imagine. So coming out of Casey Canifest this year, I had taken Amy Porterfield's digital course building program and had been starting to build a course that I finally was able to finish in May and am doing a live version of right now, which is my, I call it the Canna Basics. And it's five modules helping people similar to myself, but that would never want to go through the Gangier education. They don't want to go out and smoke weed for a week in the woods. They just want to understand it from more <laughs> of a caregiver model. How can this work yes. for me? How can this work for my parents? How can it work for my kids? How can it work for my pets? Right, right. So that's the approach then that um, Sage Advice is taking to, yep. um, to rolling out cannabis education Obviously, contributing to the Ganjie community and moving that needle forward is uh, is beyond helpful uh, in in the from the community perspective and for the industry. But then, when Sage Advice gets involved, is uh, where what other services or kind of what's what are the it, you details know, it's there? Twofold. So educational services and like I said, Canna Basics. I'm running a live version of now, and then that will live evergreen um, going forward. But in addition to that, other things. So. I mentioned my age earlier, and I'm going to have to just get used to saying it over and over again. So I'll be 43 this year. Um, and honestly, when when I before I had my son, there was a lot of changes in my body that I thought I was going through perimenopause, and that you know it can be a very long period of time. And then you know I ended up getting pregnant, and I'm like, oh wow, like I really don't know shit about my body. Cool. Um, but I want to change that, right? Like if I've lived that long going through it sort of blind and like things happen and that's what they are, I've really tried to address menopause in a different way and head on in the same zest that I've been spending the last three years learning about cannabis. I'm sort of shifting same it analytical and approach finding or... where is the intersectionality between these two things? Because to me, this is the next biggest phase of our lives as women. And it's really important that, you know, like I can remember back to the first time I got my period, I didn't even tell my mom. And like, you know, eventually she found out and I was just like, yeah, it's, you know, it's cool. Um, but again, like fast forward 30 years and I clearly had no idea what was going on and I don't want to make that mistake as we go forward. And so what I'm seeing more and more of in my cannabis research is the issues that women face throughout menopause, 
a lot of them can be solved by cannabis. And so trying huh. to get people yeah. again to see this intersectionality and not necessarily like, oh, I, you know, I have a hot flash, I need to go smoke a joint. But it's like, oh, maybe I won't have a hot flash because I use the suppository a, all day that gave me a low dose. Or, yes. I see. And like yeah. just opening them up to that. So in mid end of July, August August. Uh, I'm starting a new live course. It's four weeks and it's all about women and menopause and then the intersectionality of cannabis. And it's it's mostly focused on menopause, but tapering in cannabis and okay. involving subject matter experts to talk to us about these different things and uh, bring awesome. that level of professionalism in. Because the one thing that I've noticed across a lot of the different business that I do is in particular, when it comes to the healthcare of it, people want their doctor's buy-in and doctors want products and protocol. And that's what they want and the language to speak it. <laughs> And so figuring out, like, if you can come to your doctor with a product you want to use and a protocol for how you plan to use it, all you have to do is get them It's to much buy more it. approachable at that yes. point than saying, just posing the whole question. What will right. cannabis do? And I mean, I say that my girlfriend last weekend, she's a physician's assistant. And she's like, when people, she's like, people ask me about it all the time. And I tell them, I just don't know anything. And I'm like, like, uh -huh. at least send them to me. Like, at least give hey, me yeah, a referral send them to the sage here. advice. But, yeah, no, that like, that program, um, that course sounds great and and extremely helpful, right? To be able to, you know, help women into that that phase of life and perhaps find some respite uh, or some some comfort um, in their cannabis consumption and kind of right. as you mentioned too, just in different therapeutic approaches, there may be ways to just um, actually prevent rather than than treat. Right. Um, obviously, not a doctor and coming from a man's perspective. So speaking out of place here, but uh, no, that's okay. seeing I... the potential is, is awesome. I think that uh, I, I love to see different therapeutic applications for the plant and, and just for folks to, to live better, right. And, yeah. and have a happier life overall, you know, so that's the, and that's what it's that there it's for. So accessible. Like it's not, it's not even that far out of reach. Right. Um, it's not we had, uh, any further out of reach than that hand roll joint that we nope. discussed. It's on the same shelves, right? <laughs> we had uh, the company Hello Again joined us on one of our Monday calls, and they are a suppository company based out of California that is um, their first product was specifically a suppository for menopause. And they have a couple other iterations of it right now. Okay. But we had such tremendous response to their joining us. And I would have thought being, you know, our community is maybe 25% women, right? Um, there's a lot of times that I'm on a call and it's me and one other woman. And so I thought having a suppository company on talking about periods and menopause and all of these things that, that the boys were going to be like, Ooh, um, unbelievable response rate and like just excitement around it. And I think because most people just really don't ever think of this product category. And so one of the more interesting uses that they had, um, Patty and Carrie from Hello Again, we're getting is for treatment for colorectal cancer, because there's not a lot that targets pain so specifically in that area. And so it's the same yeah. way that it can work. You know, we have our greatest cluster of receptors 
in our reproductive organs, so men and women, and being able to treat so so targeted to the area is really incredible. And they're finding a huge crossover in that in that area. So that to me alone says, like, hello, how are we not looking at this for so many more things? And why is this not a more common modality that people are tapping into? That's definitely probably a quick, a quicker way into the mindset and the daily lifestyle of a larger segment of the population than infusing pre-rolls and making more peach gummies. Right. <laughs> people do love their peach gummies. You can't go wrong with a peach gummy. Uh, but no. at this point, I'd say the market's saturated. So if you're out there and you're thinking about building a peach gummy business, maybe consider a different flavor. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what we don't have, though. So this is what I'll say. If you're out there and you want to make a peach gummy, make me some peach rings that are one milligram each. Ooh, microdose cannabis. In quantity. Like, I, I understand that not everybody wants to do that, but I have the same thing. There's some pretzels here. It's not about dosing. Make. It's about eating. It's about eating. Like, yeah. it's about things that taste good, and they need to have something to come behind them. There's a Minnesota brand called Granny's, and they make these amazing cheddar pretzels, and they're one milligram per pretzel. So I'm like, I can't eat, really eat more than 15. Like, that's my max. And so I have to cut them with dots which is a local, it's a North Dakota brand of pretzels. So you just got to so sh- mix them up. I have my yeah. little mix, but I, you know, like I'm all over their Instagram saying like, this is what I need. I need there to be 50 pretzels in a bag, but I need the bag to be 10 milligrams. You can still charge me. You can still charge me $10. Like it, it works to their advantage. I did the math for them and everything. And I'm just like, I still sit here and I have no pretzels. I would <laughs> like yet. them grannies. Hey, I'll make sure to mention them when we uh, drop this podcast on Instagram. <laughs> they are like, honestly, though, if you're here in the Midwest, seek them out because they're phenomenal. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I I spent a few years in Minnesota as we were talking before the show started. And unfortunately, it was before the edible laws got accidentally yeah. signed in before the cannabis laws really got their traction. Um, and uh, it would be awesome to go back and see the industry going, though. It seemed like the Twin Cities were uh, prime for for the industry. It's well, you know what's so fascinating about the industry here though is that it is really because it's only a year old because it's entirely in the hemp edibles category. It is not the weed industry. It is the uh, beer Truce. industry that they are on the backs of. Right, true CPG or more alcoholic is more in the beverage industry. Correct. So there are very few beverage players that aren't using either the distribution or the manufacturing facilities of the craft beer industry. So our weed industry is essentially completely separate. And you're seeing a lot of friction now with uh, adult use coming into play here in Minnesota in the next 18 months. And the way that the hemp operators have been in the space and are looking to make sure they can still operate within the guidelines of like now two very dualistic marketplaces. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. Each state is so, so unique. The problems you would never would expect are just around the corner with every legalization. It is. But you know, what's interesting is I think the problems you're seeing in Minnesota, depending on how they shore up the next version of the farm bill, you're starting to see that in more and more states. You're seeing people, you know, can, for example, selling across state lines. You're seeing um, other, you know, THCA 
is popping up places and it's like well that's you know that's just come on yeah it's going to be uh quite a shift here as the as two solutions battled in or maybe two solutions can exist um going to be some incentive if one can ship over the state borders for sure well, and that's, I think, where they're pitting them against each other. And, you know, to the point earlier is like, we're already in place that's overregulated and overly competitive. Yeah, to add another pressure, right, is just unnecessary on so many businesses and um, so many markets there. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, I, uh, now you got me longing for Minnesota. That's a good, definitely <laughs> well, a good listen, place. <laughs> this is the time. You've got about eight more weeks. Well, you can come here. And then after that, I don't recommend it for a Before while. Before the winter begins. Yes, that's the downside of that state for sure. I do. But I yeah. will say walking through like freshly fallen snow, there's like a certain vibe that Minnesota has that you really can't find anywhere else. You but know, you don't want to live in that crunch. vibe all the time. It's the <laughs> crunch of the snow. And I can't help myself that I'm every time I see in the morning as I walk my dog, you know, ice that's frozen over, like I have to walk through it every single time and break <laughs> it. That, like you just get that can't. experience. <laughs> uh-huh. it's, but those, like those truly are the moments you have to live for. Cause to your point, most people don't want to live here all year round. And I get that. I don't really either, but I'm not wealthy enough to own two homes yet. And so for now, well, I do still <laughs> live here full time. I've had to shift my mindset and really just try to appreciate it and know that, like every, like, I guess this year it was like mid-April even still, it was still snow. Like we still had a blizzard in mid-April. Winter and stays I'm like, in Minnesota. Yeah, I'm like, but yeah. it, 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 you know, it's not going <laughs> to be like this in July. And it's not. Like I'm happy to report that that is still true. When I tell myself in April, it won't be like this in July. I have yet to see it snow in July. When I moved there, I was moving from Colorado where I was working in a grow and, um, because of that lifestyle, I didn't really have a lot of winter coats or like cold weather things. Uh, I just had my like basic coat. And that first winter in Minnesota just, oh man, it surprised me. I, did, I had to learn about wool socks. I never had to bundle up so much <laughs> coming it, from the south, more south. <laughs> it's kind of fun when you learn how to do it. And I always say at a certain point, you can always put more clothes on, but you cannot take more clothes off. Oh yeah, I'm dealing with uh, that problem here in Vegas now. When we were, yeah. you know, approaching 109 the other day. <laughs> yeah, it's. So, um, I, go ahead. Uh, no, I was gonna say, what's uh, what's next for uh, Sage Advice or for your kind of your efforts in the cannabis space? I, yeah, you mentioned the program coming up. Um, yep, my live live course on menopause, and in addition yes. to that, I've started taking on some consulting clients on you know anywhere from a five to ten hour per month basis in Minnesota. Because what I have found here, um, and the, I'm going to say the Midwest in general, and Chicago in particular, uh, Illinois as a market, there is a lot of phenomenal business people with a lot of great ideas, and they don't have the depth of cannabis knowledge that they need to in order to effectively execute on them. And so one thing I think I'd mentioned before is going into this space, I was terrified that I wasn't going to know enough. And I've tried to learn as much as I can. And that's one of the reasons I contribute to my community as much as I do is because I still learn so much. And every week I learn something. And so in I want to be able to, to push that forward into the industry and be able to be that touch point for people so they don't have to do as much as I do. They just have to spend, you know, five hours with me each month 
and I will keep them at the level that they need to be at in order to be looking at their businesses from a future focused direction. Because like, you know, to your point, it is so oversaturated. Regulations are changing all the time. Keeping on top of all of that for people who don't have the network that I do can be really, really difficult. Uh, but I think that's where I'm really lucky is I have cool conversations with people all week long. And yes. so the ability Staying to, in the, yeah, in the to scene synthesize constantly. that for people and, you know, package it in small people or small pieces and then apply it to their business is something like that's a model I'd like to, to continue growing as I move forward. Just so that builds because it builds a better cannabis community. It builds better brands. Right. Right. Uh, the the community makes the brand. So kind yeah. of contributing there will definitely um, uh, come back, right, in dividends. Exactly. And so um, <laughs> through that, I've had a couple brands that I've been working on, you know, doing some speaking engagements for them and promoting not necessarily even their products, but just cannabis in general as a healing modality. And then sort of products come in ancillarily uh, as people start to look for, okay, well, what what can I get? I'm in Iowa. How can I use this? And, you know, CBD gets so tricky because finding quality products, again, can be very difficult. And if you don't know what to look for, you don't know if you've found quality or not. It's so getting having, easy to find, but the quality still right. is worth noting. What's easy to find yeah. may not always be what you want to consume regularly. So doing education around that and then allowing people to have access to where they can get quality products, just pointing them in the right direction. But A yeah, noble I mean, fight I, for the cannabis space. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I think people always say like, you know, your best business is helping a version of yourself that you've been at some point in life. And I think, you know, I look back to when I had two, two small kids versus the one small kid that I have right now um, and just feeling really sort of lost and hopeless and that cannabis has always helped me, like I said, feel like a better version of myself and, you know, allowing myself to use it to be that version of myself and not let the stigma around it cloud that. It's been such an important part of my journey, and I want to empower other people to have that same level of confidence and not just knowing, like, if I smoke, I feel better, but saying I am using this, this and this intentionally because I understand it's doing this for me, it's doing this for me, and it's doing right. this for me. And that's what my counter <laughs> will always be to someone who's like, well, you're just sitting around smoking pot all day. And I'm like, yes, but <laughs> some more to it, right? There's right? Um, like, and Hamilton's Pharmacopia. Have you ever seen that show? Which one? I think it's called Hamilton's Pharmacopia. And it's a, a dude that goes like deep on all sorts of substances and often tries them uh, to experience them to their fullest. And mm -hmm. he, he talks about psychological determinism where when you use a substance, I mean, it kind of comes more from the psychedelia uh, mindset, but even with cannabis and with anything, you, what you intend for that mm -hmm. use is really going to alter your experience and kind of alter the, uh, the, the full effects, whether they be immediate or lasting. And I think there's definitely some truth to that with cannabis and that you could have that vibe of like, I'm smoking because I'm just going to chill all day, man, right? I'm going to kick my feet back and and do nothing, or you could be, you know, hard at work, you know, building, you know, multiple, uh, learning courses and, you know, right. education.
platforms like you're doing now. That's how you find your flow state. And that's, you know, like that to me is the cool thing is it is different for everyone. And it's not just because our bodies are different. It's not just because we smoke different strains. It's different because we have different intentions behind it. And so to think of it as a singular thing that makes a difference, well, you smoked indica, I smoked sativa. That's why it was different. It's like, no, no, no. that's not, you know, that's one part of it is the actual makeup of the plant, but there's all these other things that go into it. All that good stuff. Well, uh, Elizabeth, we'll definitely have to have you back on to, to keep on the, the conversation here and maybe look at yeah. what would be in it, like the level two now of the cannabis knowledge and understanding. Uh, in the meantime, where can our listeners find out more about you and um, connect with you? Or where can certified ganjiers track down the uh, ongoing communities? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. I'm pretty active there at the Sage Ganjier. You can also find me in our own community in Discord. Um, I try, I post all of our classes on there weekly, all of our sessions, uh, the cultivars that we're looking at. I try to post stuff about the different guests that we have and make sure that they're accessible because that's the other thing that's really cool to me is everyone we've had uh, help teach us on Mondays has also been so generous with their time with the community and giving back and um, building, building these relationships, right? Because there's a lot of really great farmers out there that are in really tough positions right now. And so helping to connect them and the greater Gangier community has been a really cool thing to watch unfold. And I hope that when we look back on this in 10 years and we have federal decriminal or federal descheduling, right? That's what I would like, just not even on the schedule at all, hmm. um, or a schedule schedule five. Um, like I think I think we'll look back at this time, and I hope to see all of these great farmers having persevered through all of this. I hope that we see um, interstate commerce, and I hope that we see people playing a little bit nicer with each other. Um, I I don't know why I expect cannabis to have a little bit bigger heart. I think because people fought for so long for this, it really pisses me off to see people fighting now over the stupidest stuff when it's like, you're letting the government do now with regulations what they couldn't do with laws for 40 years. And it's just, you know, it breaks my heart to see everybody fighting so much over a plant that's supposed to symbolize so much more. Right. Yeah. Appreciating kind of where we come with the plant and kind of as a communities bring some of that back into it times easier said than done as folks see green uh green money exactly <laughs> but yeah you're definitely uh, definitely making it an impact elizabeth yeah i, def- I appreciate you. what you're doing for the ganja community and i think your education platform will uh, for sure attract some attention as well I'll- yeah i hope we can do for the general public imagine how a well-educated general public will kind of products and creations that people could come up with if the public demanded it right that's yes, where innovation yep. comes from is public demand so if everybody will stop Super smoking mid like then then we can demand more but it, <laughs> yeah. it takes each person educating themselves and wanting more for themselves and you can't do that until you know better that's your takeaway point for this episode folks stop smoking mids exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks elizabeth thanks Rob.
Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show and our range of services, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis operations consulting, agile product management, and connoisseurship services. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.